Hello and welcome to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. A reminder, we're streaming live on Sportsnet's YouTube channel and airing live on Sportsnet 360, Monday to Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. Make sure you find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. Please rate and review the show. I'm your host, William Liu, and today joined in studio by two very, very special guests. First, I'm joined by Kat Jamie, the new director of the sports documentary, The Grizzly Truth. Um, Jamie, uh, Kat, how are you doing? <laughs> Good. Nice to, it's so cool to be here. Thanks, Will. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was awesome. I got a, we got a chance to, uh, me and Alex got a chance to, uh, to, to catch a screening of it at TIFF, um, I think last month, and it was really awesome to see. And of course, one of the uh, principal characters in the film, we got uh, Steve Francis, who was drafted by the Vancouver Grizzlies uh, infamously in 1999. Steve, how are you doing? I love the word infamously. I'm doing great. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, listen, we'll get to the infamous portion too, because I think, um, you know, I think that's what, you know, partially this film really gets to the root of, right? It's the film is about exploring why did the Grizzlies leave Vancouver? What did it mean to uh, Vancouver? It's just as a community, as a city, and also sort of maybe hopefully trying to bring some closure to fans. Uh, again, like I mentioned, I got the chance to see it, and it was really awesome to see, and uh, I had a really great time watching it. By the way, uh, the Grizzly Truth screens at Hot Dog Cinema tomorrow at 730 here in Toronto, so people here locally can also catch the film. I uh, highly recommend you do so. But let's first talk about the film with both of you, and then I wanted to dive uh, into both your careers a little bit, if that's all right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so Kat, um, yeah, what is this film about? Tell us about the film. How did it come about, and... Uh, We'll, we'll get to Steve's role in it, but let's let's start with the film itself. For sure. I mean, I've always wanted to make this film. Uh, in film school, um, you know, over a decade ago, I like was always like, if there's one story I want to tell in my career, it's a story of the Vancouver Grizzlies. Um, and that's taken uh, many years. You know, I made Finding Big Country a few years ago, which really kind of opened doors for me. And, um, you know, um, was able to, we use that as a proof of concept to get this film going. Because even when I was making Finding Big Country, I always knew I wanted to tell this story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so it took, you know, um, a few years to get funded, many years to track all the key players. And to me, there was like five people that were must-haves in the film. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been a complete grisly story. And of course, that's Bryant Reeves, um, Mike Bibby, Sharif, Stu Jackson, and of course, Steve Francis. <laughs> you need all those five players or five people to tell this story. Um, but yeah, it, you know, it's been a dream come true. Again, I always tell people I'm a childhood fan who became a filmmaker and I had no connections to the NBA, to any players. Like I watched Steve as a kid, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it's been like such a joy, um, and an honor to meet everyone, to get to know them as people, human beings and friends. And I, I can't tell you how many like pinch me moments I have, I, I've had during the making of this film. Yeah, I mean, again, when people see the film, they'll they'll realize what I'm saying, what you're saying. But, you know, your positivity, your excitement really comes through on screen and it really helps with the storytelling. And I think that, you know, not to give too much of it away, but there is obviously, you know, Steve's in it. And uh, it was a great story that's presented in the film. And I'd love for you to share how you even got to meet Steve in the first place. It's kind of a crazy story. Like, you just kind of pulled up on him. <laughs> so can you please share that story? Yeah, I mean, uh, so... Thanks, Steve, for no <laughs> for agreeing to be part of the film. But I've been I've been trying to get a hold of Steve for years, uh-huh. and I was freaking out. We we were like almost on the film, and I was like, I we still don't know how to get in touch with Steve. I don't know, like I don't know how to get in touch with him. My researcher Gerald Narciso sent me a, a message one morning. It was a Monday, and it was a screen cap of uh, 
one of Steve's autograph showings in Houston. Mm. Called up my producer, Michael, and I was like, I don't know, like, I don't know how you're going to do it or, you know, I, I, you need to get me on a plane and I need to be at this event. And the event was on Saturday. So I got, we got the message on Monday. I'm on a flight on Friday. And then, yeah, I pull up on Saturday and surprise Steve at, the, you know, um, at this autograph session. And I knew... I was just like, you know, even if he says no, I just, I just wanted the opportunity, like just five seconds, just to pitch, you know, just to share what I wanted to do. And it was sort of like, my pitch was, you are part of Vancouver's history. We are going to be talking about your story. And I want you to be part of that mm -hmm. process. And I want you to have a hand in your own narrative. And so that was kind of my pitch. And thankfully, uh, Steve said yes. Not only did he say yes, but he invited me and my team to D.C., we had it in, like we we did a you know a sit down interview. He invited me to where he grew up, showed me where he was from, and you know just gave me um, that kind of access to his story. Right, right. And, and, and Steve, I, I want to hear your thoughts because you're at the this this what looks to be like a fan expo. You know, like they sit you down one of these big warehouses yeah. and people line yeah. up to come see you and take photos. And then and then Cap pulls up. I'm I think you were wearing a lot of Grizzlies gear. I was, yeah. Of course. And <laughs> what was. was the thought running through your head like, oh my God, is someone gonna come in and, and demand answers <laughs> to Vancouver again? I, I initially thought like, oh my gosh, it's Stu Jackson looking for me. Um, <laughs> and I seen her. Uh, I was with my son. Um, I normally me and him always go to our public autographs uh together. And, you know, just her authentic the way authentic she came, not like a fan, um, with some good things to hear. Um, I was able to give my opportunity to, to say how I felt about Vancouver. And the narrative that was painted as I was spoiled and all those things, I could finally speak on it on my behalf. So I thought it was a great opportunity. Yeah, no doubt. And I think that's that's something that the film did a really good job of is sort of relaying both the human stories around everybody involved, but I think especially for for yours, right? Because, you know, there was a lot of controversy surrounding this topic. I mean, it was, it was a little before my time, but I mean, even just doing the research for it or watching the film, I mean, you know, you hear about it all the time. And I think that from your perspective, like, were you almost waiting for that chance to, to get your side of it in there? Uh, eventually, I'm actually working on my own documentary, my personal documentary. But one day, a uh, cat came at the right time mm. you know, in the middle of me doing that. And this is something that I didn't even think about putting in there, but she gave me the, uh, the uh, a push to want to include this in because everybody else had their, and probably still do to this day, unless they see this film, their perception of what went down. I just wanted to act like a spoiled brat. I didn't want to go, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but as you you know, do your history and similar to what Cat did, I think everything kind of you know evens out. Right. So I I'm gonna ask you the question that I think you've been asked probably a hundred times you're asking the film as well, but your side of it at that time, right? So you're, you're coming into the draft. You, you said specifically that you didn't want to go to Vancouver. What were some of the reasons behind that? Uh, the number one reason, uh, no guarantee uh, that I will be having the basketball in my hand as a rookie. Right. Cause they um, had Mike Bibby already. Exactly. And, and respect completely due to Mike Bibby. His rookie campaign was great. Mm -hmm. yeah. Even though they didn't, uh, achieve a lot of things they want, but they, they had a great nucleus with himself and Sharif and some of the veterans that they had sprinkled in. So my uh, year at University of Maryland and throughout my career, as you see, I needed the basketball in my hand yeah. um, to try to come into the NBA to try to check shooting guards. At that time, you had Mitch Richmond, who was a shooting guard. You had Eddie Jones. Mm. 
I'm 6'3", 22 years old. And to be, as they said, that we would play together, I don't think that would have helped my career. And to be on the bench my rookie year in Canada would have been a mess for me. So right, I right. try to prevent all of that. Well, I was going to say, too, because one thing that, you know, uh, as, as you mentioned, Kat, like you guys were able to go see uh, where you grew up, right? And, and that was a big part of the film. It's actually one of my favorite parts of the film, just seeing, like, the human side of it, right? Where do NBA players come from? Because when we see you guys on the screen, when you guys see you guys at the arena, you guys are, like, invincible, like, superstars, you know what I mean? Especially when you get to your level, too. And But I think seeing the human side of it and seeing where you guys came from, I mean, like, it was really important for you, especially at that age, at that time, to be close to home. Is that is that right? Exactly. Uh, I, I've been through a lot, and, and you know, before I even um, got to college. And... You know, I was starting to learn a lot more about um, the outside world, should I say, uh, about business and sports and how things were starting to shape up for the new millennium. Um, in 2000, a lot of things were going to change. And I wanted to be a part of that on and off the basketball court. Um, as you see, despite all of the um, the negative press that I got, that same day that I got drafted, I started the Steve Francis Foundation that still runs to this day. So right. It was a gift and a curse, but, you know... Uh, Things happen. Right. So, so okay, I, I want you to take us into that moment because obviously, you know, you're from Vancouver. You were in that moment. Um, what was the reception like at that time? Because I'm imagining like when Vince Carter left Toronto and then when he came back and just like all that kind of tension, mm-hmm. I imagine it's like that, but even on a higher level. So can you kind of explain to the listener who maybe honestly wasn't even around for that mm-hmm. time or didn't follow it, what was the reception like at that time in Vancouver? When, when we drafted Steve, you mean? Uh, yes, and then after the, the press conference and all that. Yeah, stuff. yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Steve Steve wasn't super popular <laughs> in Vancouver at that time uh, because we were we were looking for, like, Arvin's Carter, you know? Right, right, right. Um, and Steve was that type of player, that kind of explosive, dynamic, like, just superstar. Um, and so, yeah, you know, you know, I think a lot of fans were upset. A lot of fans were heartbroken, especially because it was, you know— uh, you know, it's their city, and I. I, I uh, but as Steve kind of explains in the film, um, you know, he talks about how players and fans have a different uh, take on what ownership, like what it means to to, to be a player in the NBA, and mm-hmm. how yeah. players are viewed differently, right? And how that view needs to kind of shift and and change and evolve. Um, but I will say, Steve came back to Vancouver, which I, you know, I thought was like super brave and you know awesome of him he came back for the premiere of the grizzly truth mm-hmm. film and he got a standing ovation <laughs> from uh, from the fans of vancouver um and you know so i think it, this has been such a cool experience for me because i feel like it's been a healing process for a healing journey for vancouver grizzly fans for steve and you know i'm excited about this new kind of friendship that's kind of started to blossom yeah, for sure. And I think that's actually one of the central themes. I mean, you know, you even kind of jokingly play on it with, with the the therapy group that you guys were able to do as, like, former Grizzly fans talking about sort of what it means. And it's honestly, again, I don't want to give away too much of the film, but it's, it's a really core part of sort of connecting an NBA franchise to the community that they were in and sort of the, the bonds that were built. And I think that, you know, again, I, everyone understands that there would be a lot of hard feelings, right, to lose a franchise, especially one that was really adored, just even despite the fact that, yeah, okay, like, they were losing a lot, let's be honest, right? There, were, there was 
just horrendous. But at the same time, like people love the mm-hmm. product, and you can see it um, in in your film, and and obviously it's gonna be hard feelings. And and to be honest, like there's so many factors, and that's how, I guess the idea of the film is sort of track down the factors of why mm-hmm. uh, Vancouver ultimately lost that team. And and I think that you know. Steve, I'll probably guess to say that it's probably unfair from your perspective that, you know, you've been so villainized in it. Like, but at the same time, like, Kat, as as, as someone who's done exploration, right, aside from just Steve saying no, which honestly in, in modern NBA times, that'd be a very, very regular thing to do. Mm-hmm. What are some of the other factors that sort of played into it? There's, I mean, it's just a series of unfortunate events after an unfortunate event. Unfortunate event, um, the lockout, NBA lockout. We yep. had two during the Grizzlies run, which really hurt us. The um, That's something that we didn't really have time to explore in the film, but that's actually something that really, really did hurt us, especially that was when the Grizzlies were starting to pick up momentum and mm. starting to get better, and then the lockout happened. And then we were never able to actually get back to where we were. Then, of course, there's the dollar, you know, mm-hmm. um, and sure. the difference between, because you could argue like, okay, well, the Raptors had to face that currency um, problem as well. But the difference, I think, between uh, the Raptors and the Grizzlies was that the Raptors are owned by the Teachers Pension Fund. Mm-hmm. And, right. you know, we weren't. <laughs> so you guys had um, a bigger safety net to, uh, you know, to fall to fall on. So there was that, uh, you know, draft picks, the, you know, the, NBA, the rules that they placed on Toronto and, and the Grizzlies. Right. Um, you, c- you couldn't win the number one pick, right? We, couldn't, we didn't have the number one pick for the first, like, Three or five years, I'm not forgetting. I've, I've done the research, but I forget it's, if it's one or five. Mm. Um, we had a lower salary cap. They placed a lot of um, mm. obstacles against both franchises. And I don't think, I feel like if they were to, I, I think they removed those expansion uh, rules because they, they were just too, yeah. too onerous. No, it makes sense, and I think it ultimately hurt both teams because if you want to put a team somewhere else, you want them to grow. The number one way to grow is to to, to be able to have success through the draft, exactly. especially organically. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously the Raptors were blessed. You know, the Raptors didn't ultimately select Vince but made that trade draft night, and then you know, obviously mm-hmm. that took off. And, yeah, it's interesting to sort of hear about that and, and as well. And I think, you know, one of the things that you've done so well in this film, Kat, is, like, you've talked to so many people. Like, I don't remember another NBA documentary or any sports documentary that has talked to, I mean, I think there's probably like at least 20 people that made it into the doc. I'm sure there's lots of people who didn't even ultimately yeah. do that. So, like, can you just walk us through like the scope of your research and, and preparation for this? Because it's it's really, really well done. Thank you. I appreciate you saying that just because I, I think I did around 50 plus sit down interviews. Wow. And that's, um, you know, two, two and a half to three hours of sitting down with someone. But even before that, I pre interview everyone. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. first, I, you know, I make my cold calls. I do like an hour like pre-interview just to see like okay is this person going to be going on camera do they what stories can I bring out of them and then after that you know I transcribe all the interview it's it's just I have a very thorough process mm-hmm. um so we did like 50 plus sit down interviews we did I want to say you know 20 zoom interviews and I did over like 100 like phone calls right, I was right. just trying to track I have like a spreadsheet of the Grizzlies organization and it's just like it's in the hundreds of like people that I track down who are even if like people who work the concession mm-hmm. at GM yeah, yeah, yeah. Place. Like I, I wanted to talk to everyone and anyone that could give me a potential lead. Right, right. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And it's, it's funny because, you know, the, the, again, part of the, the way you structured it was sort of like this investigation into this whole thing. And it, it felt like that, you know, in yeah. a way, too. Right. Because of all the work you put into it. Yeah. Steve, I want to ask you, like, what was it like working with Kat as, as a filmmaker, her and her team? And, and, and how do they make you feel comfortable to the point where you're able to invite them to your hometown and really walk them through your story 
from growing up to where you are now, where you're, you're still growing as a person, obviously, but especially in, in this relationship with Vancouver that, you know, hopefully, you know, eventually it does get repaired. Uh, thanks. Uh, hopefully it will get repaired. But no, it, it was more that it was an open conversation. It wasn't, all right, we want you to say this. We want you to do that. It mm -hmm. was just more of asking me questions about things that they heard and, and didn't assume, you know, what, what was written back in the day, like you said earlier. Some people probably just read, you know, what they heard back in the day. But, yeah, you know, just for her to touch back on it and give me an opportunity to have my own voice was something that I look forward to doing. And I think we got that across pretty well. Yeah, no doubt. And I think, um, you know, Kat, I wanted to ask about your process a little bit as a filmmaker, right? Because it's, it's really unique the way you've really, like, uh, woven together your fandom of the Grizzlies and then also making the documentaries. Because you see this in, in, in both this film, The Grizzly Truth, uh, but also in, you know, Finding Big Country. And it's, and it's, it's such a personal take mm -hmm. on something that um, is something that I think a lot of people care about. But I think everyone can sort of find something within it that sort of connects you to them and also connects the topic to them. So I think it actually a really effective way to make a documentary. So, yeah, I want to ask you about that. Like, how did you decide on that? Because as a filmmaker, you have to actually choose to build that narrative around, uh, not yourself, because that sounds a little self-serving, but like in that presentation where you tell it from your narrative. Mm -hmm. I mean, first I just have to say, like, I have such an incredible team behind this film. Mm -hmm. um, so I have to, you know, give my, my, my team a huge shout out. I never set out to make films where I was like, one of the main subjects, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but because of how personal the film was, it just made sense. And I, even with Finding Me Country, the night before we shot, we went to Oklahoma, I was trying to get out of being in the film. Mm -hmm. And uh, my producer was like, no, I think it's going to be really special to have you and Bryant in the film. And, you know, obviously he was right. Um, but I do, you know, all my films, um, like I want, I want, people who don't even care about the Grizzlies or basketball to connect with the, you know, the Grizzly truth. And yep, that yep. has, I, I've, you know, I've been thankfully getting a lot of messages from people who like, I don't know anything about basketball, don't watch the NBA, but I'm a fan of this. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it brought, watching your film made me think of the relationship that I had with my dad or my grandfather or, right, or whatnot. Right. So I think a great film is able to have universal themes that can um, connect to people outside of the niche market that, you know, the film is actually, it is for basketball fans and Grizzly fans, but mm. hopefully for for other audiences outside of that, you know, range. Um, but with the Grizzly truth, when we were thinking about, okay, what what I, what am I going to share now? Because Finding Me Country was a very personal story. Yeah. Uh, and so, but I already knew, it's sort of like, how do we make the Grizzly truth different, but hit that same personal note? Mm -hmm. And in early, early stages of, of the film, I, I already knew what I was going to share. And that is my, my connection, like my connection, my personal connection to basketball, which has to do with my, my um, Filipino, uh, like, um, I, um, history and my mm -hmm. identity. And, you know, I'm Filipino-Canadian and basketball is the, the, uh, the national sport of the Philippines. Religion. religion yeah, it's a religion yeah. there. And, you know, as a kid, I really latched onto that concept right. as a second-generation Canadian kid. Because um, I was like, oh, that's that's why I love the Grizzlies because I'm Filipino Canadian and I and basketball is the national sport there, and I'm good at basketball. And it was just like, you know, you're kind of grasping at anything to like tie you to Canada, mm -hmm. you know, at that at, at that age. And so that's what the Grizzlies. That's why the Grizzlies were so important to me. And so the making of this film, I was like, I know what I, I'm going to share in this film. Yeah, and and that's that's really well said because I think um, especially for 
immigrants to anywhere, right? You're looking for that thing to ground you to that place. Mm-hmm. And obviously, there are things that we we kind of connect through and, and, and transcend borders. And, and I think one of those definitely is sports, right? We're literally watching the World Cup in the office right now. Like, <laughs> it's it's one of those things that literally binds the world together. Sports has that ability. And I think, yeah, that that is... That's really clearly said, and I think in the movie, too, you're able to um, really, even if you're not a Grizzly fan, if you're at all an NBA fan, even if you're not even a sports fan, I think mm-hmm. you can really resonate with it. And, again, you get really get into the weeds, too. Like, you get all those details. And, you know, I, I think, you know, my question to you is, like, do you hope there is some closure that some, you know, uh, Vancouverites uh, will feel after watching this? And and if if there is an intended effect, an intended feeling, what is that feeling? Closure is definitely one of the main things I wanted Grizzly fans, especially to walk away feeling after watching the film. And I can't tell you how many messages I've gotten since the release in Vancouver. People are like, "Man, cat, like now I like Steve Francis, and Man, cat, now I like Steve Jackson. Like, why do you have to do that to us?" And I'm like, "Yes, like that. You know, and that's like uh-huh. the whole point of it is when you realize, like, you know, if you just Listen to someone's story, and mm-hmm. uh, you know maybe there doesn't need to be this like this resentment that you that you continue to feel for over twenty plus years, right? Right, right. Um, so yeah, closure is definitely and peace. Like I wanted to bring peace to <laughs> like Vancouver Grizzly fans. I know it sounds funny because a team was only there for six years, but they really meant a lot to so many fans like myself. Um, so yeah, no closure is definitely one of the main things I wanted you know audiences to to feel. Yeah, no, that's beautiful, and I think look. I- these are difficult emotions for people to to hold on to and handle, especially for so long, right? I think even for within the context of just um, Canadians in general, I think one of the perspectives that is I've come across commonly is just like, you know, Canada sees itself as this like underdog, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's obviously above the States. Everything is about the States and the world and, and you're so close to it and people think you're kind of the same thing and you really want to stand out. It's like a little brother to a big brother thing. And that I think, you know, even within that identity of Canada to the United States, I think Vancouver has its own identity relative to Toronto, which mm-hmm. in this analogy, Tor- Vancouver is more like Canada and Toronto is more like the States, you know? So <laughs> there's so many of these things layered in. And, and I think that if there's at all any closure um, and any sort of like relief in finding some of that through this film, I think that, uh, you know, again, it's really highly recommend everyone in Vancouver to watch this in particular. Now, Steve, um, I want to get to know your life and your career as well. Right. Um, and I've, I've, I've learned so much about your journey that I didn't know about just in preparation of this interview. And it's maybe a lot of, it's maybe very sympathetic and empathetic to sort of all the things that you had to go through, right? So I just want to get back to that moment in the draft. So, you know, you ultimately didn't want to go to Vancouver, but, you know, you ultimately end up in a place like Houston. What was your reaction when you got to Houston in terms of how that situation was going to benefit you more, both as a young player, but also as someone who, you know, you could stay closer to home a little bit at least? Um, well, actually, I went to junior college right outside of Houston in Pasadena. Oh, okay, right. I went to San Jacinto Junior College. But for me, it was the hype of playing with Hakeem Olajuwon and Charles Barkley. I mean, Man. I I was ecstatic. Um, throughout my career, I always played with a big guy that was always, you know, the high pick and roll, so I kind of knew that. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just to be able to be on the court with Hakeem, um, Charles Barkley was cool, but Hakeem Olajuwon a global icon, yeah. uh, somebody as a youngster, you know, I really looked up to. So that was that was my selling stick that I, if I want to be good, I have to, you know, try to level up to these all-stars already and these Hall of Famers already. So that's the pressure I was under. Yeah, well, I mean, you look, you handled it well, right? Like, 
you know, rookie of the year, like it, it, you, you, you got off to a really nice start and, and it's, it's unfortunate. I think you just kind of caught Hakeem towards the end. Yeah, right, it but. was um, for me. Um, and then when he got traded to Toronto, I cried that day, but <laughs> just the professionalism of him on the plane, the way he dressed, uh, the way he handled the media, uh-huh. um, all the things that you, that you want in your quote unquote, your next franchise player. And I think that Rockets did a great job of having Hakeem talk to me outside of basketball mm. to prepare me to be in that role. So um, I think that's kind of missing in today's game, too. Yeah, no no doubt. I mean... Uh, Some of the veterans now are like 25 years old. So that's a big difference from, when, you know, when I came in. Yeah, yeah for sure. I, I think, um, you know, I was reading more about it, too. And um, oddly enough, I feel like... So because you go from your first year, and then after that's done, they send you to the draft lottery, right? Um, and then you guys win the pick, and it's it's the Yao Ming draft. Everyone knows. I, I guess this is like we're fast-forwarding a little bit of time, but, like, you're still young in your career. You go to the draft lottery, and then it's a Yao Ming draft. You guys take Yao, right? And I, I'm always really curious about this just because, you know, I'm Chinese, and I'm definitely going to ask every question I can about Yao, obviously. I don't think this is a surprise probably to you. But, um, yeah, what was that transition like, right? Because, man, I mean, you know, you you guys are – you had a really successful start to your career, but then you're about to add the number one pick, and you guys know that you're building something there. So what was your first impression, obviously, when you when you basically found out that you guys were going to have that pick? I was happy. Uh, you know, Hakeem, like I said, Hakeem was gone. Um, I was able, myself, along with the Rockets organization, we, we looked at a lot of his tapes. Um, for me, I, I, at first, I didn't think it was real. You know, yeah. I, I, anybody didn't think it was real. They had him in Chicago. Seven foot six doesn't sound real. You yeah, know? they had him in Chicago working out. We were launching all these tapes. Can he shoot? Can he do this? And uh, when he got to Houston, his humbleness with all the noise that was around him and still is to this day, uh, he didn't try to overshadow any of us on the basketball team. He didn't try to sh- overshadow the organization. Mm. He just wanted to fit in and play basketball. Right. And and can you just describe a little bit of like what, the media circus was around Yao. Oh, my God. I, I know what that was as a Chinese person, but I, I think oh just take us back to that moment. I mean, every Asian outlet at every practice. <laughs> I I must have did more interviews about Yao <laughs> than myself. <laughs> what did he right eat now? today? <laughs> what did he wear today? Did he shoot left? Did he shoot right? Uh-huh, did yeah. you drive him to... I'm like, wow. They never asked you about the game. But, I mean, for him to step in... Uh, he did have his interpreter, Colin Pine. I know Colin mm-hmm. yeah. went to the University of Maryland, too. Oh. So I had a relationship with his interpreter. And, you know, we were able to have our own personal conversation outside of basketball, which helped uh, our relationship grow from day one. Yeah, no, it's, it's. Uh, I mean, when y'all went into the Hall of Fame, um, I think, you know, uh, leading up to that point, I think there was, he wrote a piece about you in, in the Players' Tribune, and you wrote about Yao as well in the Players' Tribune as well a little later on. And, you know, I, I was one of the funny things I, I noticed in there was apparently the the Houston Rockets in preparation for Yao coming in brought like a Chinese professor or something like that to try to teach you guys like some customs or whatever, essentially like how to deal with Yao, right? But my question is, well, two parts actually. One, what, what kind of things were they teaching you? And then two, um, what kind of things American were you trying to teach Yao at that time? Um, I, I think... Um the organization needed to be more in tune of the Chinese culture. Okay. I think with Yao, when he came to practice, uh, when the cameras weren't there, he was himself. Mm. Um, and I think that helped him. Uh, he came over. He came to – I remember when he came to the game, and then we had practice. 
But I think the culture shock for the organization landing such a big move and knowing that they had involved the Chinese com- community, and let's not let's not get it uh, twisted. Texas is, you know, it's yeah. not really a Chinese state. So <laughs> yeah, far was, from it. Yeah. yeah, it was hard for them to engage with the Chinese community. They mm-hmm. had to take their time and be very respectful the way that you approach Asian people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they did a great job. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so uh, I, I got to imagine there was tons of stories about just, you know, I, I, I'm sure he's, he's, he's a rookie, right? And, yeah. you know, he, he, he doesn't know anything, but it seems like you guys were able to become friends really quickly. Why do you think that is? And, and what you guys, what you guys do? Like, what were you <laughs> trying to like show him in America? You know, I, I felt, I felt, I felt what he felt because all the cameras on him. He hadn't played a basketball game yet. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's had so many expectations. He's the number one pick. He's the number one pick. Is he going to bump heads with the infamous Steve Francis from Vancouver? <laughs> so I know all of those things. Were Meanwhile, going. you guys are really good friends. <laughs> and at the same time, you know, yeah. we're riding around in my Hummer around Houston, you know, eating and That's so cool. just chilling out. But, um, yeah, yeah um, you know, it, I, I wanted to make him feel as comfortable uh, as possible watching those media people just chase him day and night. Mm. And, uh I think a lot of uh, a lot of our teammates felt the same way. We had to try to protect them in certain yeah. situations. No, that's really nice, man. And again, I, this is it's it's really fun to to read about this. Obviously, as someone who like yeah, it's really important to me. But like, it's like you know, little details like how you. I think you were describing your piece that uh that when Yao stayed at a hotel, he would push two queen beds together oh, and make yeah. a Yao bed. <laughs> yeah. So uh, well, really, they they would call in advance and have the beds ready. Um, so I, I, I never forget. I bust in there one day. I just jumped on the beds for nothing. <laughs> used to be like, man, what? Me and Moochie used to go over this room all the time. So, um. I actually, when the Grizzlies left, uh-huh. we started driving to Seattle to watch games, right? Right, yeah, of course. Um, and I, one of the first games that I watched my, when the Grizzlies left was you and, you and Yao. In Seattle. In Seattle. Cause oh. that's, and, cause that's what, that's what Vancouver Grizzlies fans had to do. When the team moved to Memphis, because Seattle was so close, it was right. an hour away. It was sort of like a weekend getaway to Seattle, watch an NBA game. But yeah, so Steve, I, I've seen you a few times oh, in your right. NBA career. Yeah, you know what? Actually, that's funny too, because I was actually I forgot to ask this earlier, because I'm kind of trying to ask things in chronological order. But um, when you returned to to Vancouver for the first time, and I want to ask both of you this, right? But um, for you playing in that game, the atmosphere, what was that like? Because I gotta imagine that's <laughs> one of the most hostile crowds you've ever played. It was unbelievable. Um, I didn't think it would be that bad. Yeah. Um, but I, I expected booze. Um, I knew I had to come play 48 minutes, and that's yeah, what yeah. I looked to do. I knew the players on the other team were going to be on 10, mm-hmm. um, so I had to be on 100. Yeah. And uh, early on in the game, the fans were very, very hostile throughout the whole game. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, it, it seemed like a hockey atmosphere to me. Well, I, I was uh, maybe when I was one of your teammates was describing it, like people were throwing stuff on the court or like maybe throwing stuff or like tomatoes or batteries. Yeah, I, they, I don't remember what the story was. Yeah, but. they were in today's game. Um, that would have cost so much. But yeah, I, I seen batteries, yeah, uh, tomatoes, and I just I can still hear the sound of those batteries skipping across that wood floor. Nah, that's, like, <laughs> that's wild. And I was like, wow, what if this would have hit me. But. Like I said, our adrenaline was running so high. Yeah. Um, that could have been a final series right there, Man. that game. Yeah. Kat, were you at the game? My, I wasn't. I, the very first game you came 
back to town. I wasn't. My brother and my dad were. Mm. And I remember I was really upset because they went, like, my brother got to go and I didn't. But I remember hearing about it because yeah. it was like my dad, my dad actually, it, I mean, this doesn't make the cut, but he didn't like the way that you were treated. Especially there was a really hard foul the very first few minutes of the game. I don't know if it was like Antoine. I, I forget. I forget who. It was like a really hard foul and like GM plays just. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was loud. It was, yeah, not the nicest crowd that night. Um, yeah. No, I mean, and and listen, I, I think it's, it's, if you go back to watch it, I think it's probably one of your best plays ever. But I think you put it off the a glass. Backboard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you throw it off to your yeah. Oh man, I was, that was so cold. good. I was stuck. That was cold. I was stuck right there. I was like, man, I just it was just so loud. Yeah. yeah. So I couldn't. They were booing. I didn't have anybody open, so I was like, let me just throw it off the backboard. Yeah, to yeah catch it. it was. So. I remember that. That's painful. But listen, I mean, it was. it's kind of similar. It reminds me a lot of, like, when Vince came back to Toronto for the first time. You know, like, the same kind of, like, mm-hmm. atmosphere, fans on top of you, and, and just, like, hard feelings. But, you know, it's funny because, you know, uh, obviously, like, Grizzlies, they were looking for their Vince, right? Mm-hmm. Vince was, like, such a big hit, such a big star right away. And then, you know, the way I'm thinking about it is 2000, the dunk contest in Oakland. Everyone remembers it for Vince, right? And and rightfully so, man. Vince obviously stole the show. But the final, you, Vince, Tracy. And when you go back and watch the full dunk contest, I feel like everyone just watches those four dunks by Vince. And they're so good. They're all perfect 50s. Like, everything's amazing. But when you watch the full dunk contest, like, Steve, you, you held your own, man. I mean, before the dunk contest, they already said he won it. So everybody. Well, said that, though? Uh, the groupies, Kenny Smith. Isaiah Thomas, okay. Cheryl Miller, all three of those groupies. And they were judges, right? Yeah, they were judges. Yeah, that's and not right, man. Come on. I was surprised at Kenny Smith. He's a Houston Rocket. But, you know, it was Vince's time in the right. NBA, and they wanted to go with what was popular. But at the same time, um, he definitely won it with, oh, the arm, with the arm and the rim. Like, I was like, what the heck is this? Because right, right, <laughs> yeah, he's what? rubbing the arm. And, yeah, and, and, and you're like, what's, and, what's he even doing? And if you, know? you look at that tape, everybody was just quiet. Like, what yeah. did we just see? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um... But for me, it was always a dream. You know, you see Dominique, you see Spud Webb, yeah, yeah. you see uh, Michael Jordan, all those guys in dunk contests. And given the opportunity, I just wanted to be there, so I was yeah. happy. No, and you, I mean, listen, you you weren't just being there. Like you were the runner up that day. You had some of the best dunks in that, yeah, in that in that entire run. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, it was such a big coming out moment. And I was just thinking about like. Man, if that was Vancouver versus Toronto and that kind of final and, and you know, just building up the rivalry, like, obviously, like, that's the the, the dream and the fantasy that I think Grizzly fans probably would have wanted to have. But at the same time, it's just like, man, well, what a moment, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, what else did I want to ask here? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, Steve, just going back to your career. So, obviously, um, you know, you go from Houston, right? You had, you, you had a really, really good time there. Three All-Stars appearances you know you guys were winning and all that other stuff but you know eventually they you know uh, Jeff and Gundy gets brought in and you know it's a big difference obviously working with uh, Jeff versus working with with Rudy T and uh and then you guys you know ultimately decide that you know what we're gonna bring in Tracy right and you know the rest of your career you know going to Orlando going to New York and then going back to Houston like how was that for you like and, and what was that feeling of like you know what um for 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 NBA players like you you finish your career and when you see it start to wind down, like what's that kind of feeling? Because you go from the highest of highs to to that feeling. How was how were you dealing with that emotionally during that stretch? Like I said at the beginning, when the Rockets traded away their best player, Hakeem Olajuwon, mm. 
I had no right to be upset. Um, okay. To be witnessing Hakeem leave Houston to go to Toronto. Um, just like Van Gundy said, everybody thinks they're, 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 they can't be replaced. I thought I would finish my career in Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, it was definitely hard. I just had bought a new house. Um, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So it was definitely kind of hard. Um, but, you know, basketball will take care of itself. Um, but, yeah, it was tough. And like I said, every year after that, I had a, it was always a different coach. So mm-hmm. after Van Gundy, I played for probably five other coaches right. in six years. So it was kind of tough. Just to learn one system is hard in three years. Imagine learning one every October. Yeah, no, 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 no doubt. And, um, you know, uh, yeah, I, I'm just thinking about it too. It's just, again, like I've, I've read so much about your, 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 your life and, you know, the interviews that you've done and, and you've been really open with sort of the, the, the struggles that, that you had, obviously, even towards the end of your career and post-basketball. And it's, it's really inspirational to sort of see you step through that, right, and, and continue to be – um, you know, a role model in your community and, and a great parent as well. And I think it's a really inspirational story. For people who, who aren't familiar with this, definitely go look into it. But, Kat, I, I wanted to bring you back in the conversation as well because, um, you know, when you're – there's a film – There's a, again, I don't want to give it with the film, but there's a part in the film where John Morant's – let's just say John Morant's somewhere in the film, okay? <laughs> yeah. You don't know where. But when I'm watching John Morant sometimes and I'm watching C. Francis tape, I'm just like – <laughs> Yo, what? Like this is like this is like if if what should have happened twenty years ago? You know what I mean? There's a lot of people who've been saying that too, and I and I see what they're saying. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and I don't know, Steve. Are, are you? Do you see a little bit of that as well? Because I, um, my son, uh, when Memphis plays uh, Houston, so we go to the game. Yeah, and that's my son's favorite player. And I go to Josh's dad, and I say, Hey, listen, man, your son has to come. So John Moran's dad pulls me over and say, What are you talking about? Ja had to watch all your games in our backyard. He needs to come talk to you. So, <laughs> so my son hears that, and my son is like, you know, he's 15, 14. He's like, my dad, you know, he doesn't know. No, nah, you, you've but, never been cooler as a dad than that moment. Yeah, man. so, I, I mean, but it, it was great for me and Ja's dad to have that conversation. And, um, yeah, I, I think he's very, very much what the Grizzlies are about. Mm-hmm. Um, it could say Vancouver, but it says Memphis. But, <laughs> you know, the name is still there. Yeah. Well, I mean, Kat, that's the last thing I was going to say. Is it's just like, uh, what's the relationship right now between Vancouver and Memphis? Like, I, I think, I mean, they still do wear Check the jerseys. Check the movie out. Check the movie <laughs> out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Check the movie out. Um, you know, I think the the film, one of the, I, again, the film has many goals. Mm-hmm. One of them is to bridge that, that, con- that connection between Memphis and Vancouver. And in fact... Uh, there's a family that just messaged me um, on Instagram, actually a, a friend of mine, um, and his son is just getting into basketball. They're going to Memphis for, to watch a game. Wow. So, you know, which I think is just, you know, it, it's really, that's really cool. Um, and I'm hoping that more, you know, more uh, of that continues to happen. Um, I have also been getting a lot of messages from people who are like, Kat, you know, how never want <laughs> yeah no you? I never I never yeah. wanted to cheer for Memphis uh-huh. but after watching your film and the people that you interviewed again I don't want to give it away yeah, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. like how can I you know I'm gonna I'm now looking for a Memphis jersey or now I can kind of cheer for Jaw and not be like super heartbroken about it mm-hmm. yeah. um, but no I, I think it's so cool to like kind of bridge that bridge that gap um, and I'm push I would love to see Memphis come to Vancouver for a, an exhibition game. Like that would minimum. be so cool. Yeah, that should yeah, happen. Why doesn't yeah, happen every yeah, year? Right? That would be that. like. So I'm kind of, you know, I'm I'm hope I'm gonna be uh, gunning for that uh, okay. in the next few years. 
Yeah, I feel like I feel like the legos, you guys, because I feel like <laughs> one thing that uh, people skirt around, they're always like, oh, you know, Steve this and you know Stu Jackson this, or you know, the, even the ownership this. And it's like, yeah, the NBA had a big part to play in this as well. You know, exactly. like, you can't just let them skate by this one. But uh, <laughs> anyway, look, this movie is, is the film is, is awesome. Uh, it's called The Grizzly Truth. Um, if you, if you're in Toronto, uh, it screens at Hot Dog Cinema um, on, on Saturday at 7:30 p.m. Um, there's also going to be an open court and skills competition from one to four yeah. at the Gold Ring Center beforehand as well. So, Kat, you know, just tell us about yeah. all the details. Where sure, can people sure. follow and everything? So, yeah, like so that. starting today, The Grizzly Truth is having its uh, like Canada-wide theatrical release. So we're in oh, eleven wow. cities nice. across Canada. Um, you know, check uh, you know check our our website or Instagram just to get all the uh, all the screening times and dates. Um, and then, yeah, tomorrow we're we're in Toronto. Uh, Steve is going to be there. Jimmy King, like an OG Raptor slash member of the Fab Five, is going to be. I'm so stoked to meet to meet mm. Jimmy. Um, also, there's also going to be um, an open gyms uh, and skills competition from one to four p.m. at the Gold Ring High Performance Center, mm-hmm. um, led by Slam Canada. I will be there. Steve will be there. Jimmy will be there. It's it's going to be a family fun uh, like friendly event. Encourage everyone to come out to that and then to make it to the screening. Um, there's going to be a Q and A after with Steve and I on stage and Jimmy as well. Um, and yeah, we're just, I'm just super excited. It's, it's really cool to bring the film here to Toronto. Like we're right. in Raptor land talking about the Grizzlies yeah. and, you know, I'm just hoping, you know, I'm hoping that, um, we fill all the, all the theaters across all cities in Canada. Cause I do think this is a way to prove that Canada deserves another NBA team. Like if yes. people are come asking me like, how, like we should get an NBA team. It's like, yeah, like let's, let's, this is a way to show the NBA that can, Canadians care about basketball that Vancouver misses the Grizzlies, that we all miss the Grizzlies, and we deserve another chance at the NBA. Yeah, no doubt. All right. Uh, well, I want to say congratulations to both of you on the film. Congratulations on the release. Thank Best you. of luck with everything. You guys going to be mad busy. appreciate your time. And, uh, yeah, everyone go check out the film. But uh, for now, we're going to take a quick break. I'm your host, Walu. You'll be listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Have you checked out Bet Rivers yet? Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. Get in the action this basketball season with thousands of betting options. Plus, don't forget about Bet Rivers Sportsbook award winning customer service. It's a whole new game with Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook. Must be 19 plus, available in Ontario only. Please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, please contact Connext Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Breaking down the top stories in hockey and Elliot Friedman every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, uh, William Liu. Uh, big thanks to, to Kat Jamie and Steve Francis for joining us in the first segment. We had a long discussion. And, uh, I mean, it's just cool, man. We just got to talk to Steve Francis. That was sick. So, anyway, we're joined by uh, producer and co-host Alex Wong, who's uh, here mostly to read the shout-outs. So, go ahead. Yeah, we're here to talk about something even more exciting. The Raptors taking on the Orlando Magic tonight. But first, Friday shout-outs. Shout-outs to Derek Brandeo. Shout out. Told you to hit that Asian dad drop when Will was asking C. Francis about Yao Ming, but that was vetoed. Uh, that's okay. Uh, Vito Corleone back there. Uh, Jennifer Rolnick still on vacation. Frank Baraska, we're counting down the days until Frank the Tank is leaving us, man. That's tough. Yeah, so kind of sad about that. Learning. That man has incredible vibes. We don't, in- we don't even have conversations Incredible that hair, often, but... incredible vibes. Yeah. He's a drummer, too. No, he's the yeah, most interesting man you, in the man. world. Man. Uh, but actually, though. Devang. Kyle Crabe. Once again, tell me one thing you know about Kyle Crabe, man. 
you know, he's uh, he's he's an Sportsnet employee. <laughs> <laughs> Infamously drafted in twenty twenty one. Did I pronounce his name right? <laughs> That's my guy, Kyle. That's Just, my guy. Josiah, J.R. Manitad, uh, who's pulling uh, 15 Steve Francis clips at the moment. Chris oh, yeah. Tarosa, Ryan Fabro, Dan Toman, Greg Sansoni, Pat Flash, everybody else supporting us behind the scenes. I want to shout out to all our guests this week. Lindsay Dunn. Mm. Not sure if you know, she did a quick feature on us for City News oh, about sick. the Raptor wow. show. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about the live event that we were organizing for Next Monday. Which I'm pretending is, like I'm surprised, even though we weren't actually filmed for, for this interview. Yeah, Mark, yeah, 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 Mark Savell messaged me this morning and said that his dad saw us on breakfast television. I guess it ran during that time. Oh, nice, yeah, because nice. I was like, I, I definitely wasn't on. I wake up at noon. Um, Blake Murphy, Blake Murphy Tuesdays as you always. Joseph Kasharo, I'm 38.1. Uh, jo- Joseph Kasharo, Joe Wolfon, Faisal Kamisa, and of course, Kat Jamie and Steve Francis. Man. Any other shout-outs that you want to give? Uh, what other shout-outs do I want to give? It's uh, fine, bro. You know what? Shout-out shout my friend Tommy. Um, big okay. man for Croatia. Too. Tommy boy. I mean, I, I guess, yeah. What like, up, Tommy? Huge, huge fan, obviously, of, uh, of of just Croatian football because, you know, he's Croatian. And, uh, oh, okay. Big big result for them to, to, to yeah, beat Brazil. I'm sure Zach Lowe's happy. He might pop that one beer that he always talks about on his pod. Oh, man. The way Zach <laughs> talks about one beer, I'm like, just have it. That's the, <laughs> that's the, that's the two cores Light in the freezer right now. Oh, man. Um, Can't wait for that. Yeah. So what's up, man? They're playing the Magic tonight. Yeah, they're playing the Orlando Magic tonight, Alex. Um, Actually, they- hold on. What? And now it's time for Between the Lines, brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. There we go. As I mentioned, the Toronto Raptors are in Orlando for the first of two straight games against the Magic on the road. The line for tonight's game at Bet Rivers is Raptors minus eight. Will, what's mm. up? I, I do think it'll be more competitive than the last one. Um, well, it, yeah, I hope so, because <laughs> I don't think it can get any less competitive. You know, as an entertainment product, I, I, I thought that, uh, you know, outside of Bull Bull, like, they really did struggle. But, you know, you, you would think that they, they would come through with a little bit more fire, um, especially in their home building. You know, obviously, infamously, Amway Center is a hard place to get wins. No, I'm being sarcastic. But, I, I, I look, these are tough games for the Raptors only in the sense that there's no upside. You win, no one cares. And then if you lose... It, it just starts the outrage machine again. And I think that, I, I don't know, the Raptors are in this weird place where people aren't super happy with them. Okay. Right? And and that's not to say, like, the again, I'm not taking myself out of the equation. Like, there's obviously been many times this season I've not been happy with the Raptors. But, like, and they're in a weird spot. Like, it's people aren't super thrilled about them right now. And I don't think there's anything they could do here against Orlando that would change that for, for, some, uh, for that faction who is uh, upset. But... Yeah, I mean, you still got to go in and take care of business. The Raptors have been playing better basketball late. I mean, obviously, it's you can't play worse than than losing in the first quarter back to back games. But you know, they've they've competed against Boston. They weren't able to get the job done, but I thought they played you know a lot better in that game. Then they took care of business against Orlando. Now they took care of business against the Lakers, and you just hope that they they bank these two wins here. Um, I mean, Raptors minus eight, minus eight. I think I'll probably still go with the Raptors. You know, with Pascal playing the way he is, I just didn't see a lot of defenders on that Magic team that sort of had that ability to match up with him. And, you know, I, I hope Scotty playing close to home. Um, you know, I think he'll probably have family in attendance. You know, a, a strong performance from him uh, would, would really go a long way. And then, yeah, we'll see if Fred continues to find something with the jumper. Hopefully he eventually comes out of this slump. 
Um, but obviously he has been struggling of late. But, you know, you, you do figure that the matchup is right for him to to at least have some opportunities to score, as long as he's not ISOing Bull Bull again. Because, <laughs> man, he had like 10 feet of space against Bull Bull, and Bull Bull still blocked his shot. So no shots against Bull Bull. But aside from that, you know, hopefully Fred continues to, to, to get better. Yeah, so our pick is Raptors minus eight. That was between the lines. Brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. All right, man. I'm done. What's up? Two uh, more minutes. <laughs> so, what was your what was your was review good. of the interview? Oh, it was great, man. It's yeah. great. Uh, you know, I, I gotta start bringing you more guests into the studio, especially former players. I think it's just a different level of conversation, and really do appreciate Steve Francis dropping by and Cat as well talking about the film. But Steve just being, I think it's cool. You know, when when guys have played in the NBA and had a chance to reflect back on the ups and downs of their careers and just be mm. open about it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, I, I, listen, like like when we sent out that we were promoting that Steve Francis was going to be on the show today, I, I was checking, you know, someone on Twitter replied, was like, please take this show off the Vancouver feed today. <laughs> and I understand I mean, there's a lot of bitterness. And right. I think it's really cool for Steve to be able to tell his side of the story. You know, people don't have to forgive him or find closure in it, but... Mm. I think at least for him to tell his side of the story and get it out there, like that's that's the most that he can do. That's all he can do. Yeah, and and honestly, I, I find storytelling to be more compelling when you understand who the villain, quote unquote, com- is and where mm. they're coming from, right? What their motivations, sort of what what was going on there. I mean, personally, I don't think he was a villain, but again, I don't know what was I doing in in, in two thousand. I was uh, I was I was immigrating to Canada, and and I think we uh, we had a, a layover in Vancouver from from Beijing to to Vancouver. So that's the extent of Vancouver knowledge. Oh, okay. I do a lot of prep for this research. I'm not gonna lie to you, man. I watched a lot of documentaries. I watched the. Uh, yeah, you sent me uh, a lot of podcast links yesterday. Yeah. that Steve was on. You know, it's cool. Well, yeah. every listen, everyone, have a great weekend. We're really excited about the live event on Monday. Oh, that's right. Sold the live out. event's on Monday. Yep. Man, I'll be I'll be sick. hard at work prepping for that this weekend Me and too, changing maybe. my winter tires. Wow. Uh, have a great weekend. Another everyone. long weekend of Alex hanging out with his father. My uh, best friend. <laughs> okay. But that does it for us today. I'm your host, Will Lou, and you've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sports Radio Network. Make sure you find The Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe and please rate and review the show. Reminder, we're streaming live on Sportsnet's YouTube channel and airing live on Sportsnet 360 Monday to Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. Thanks again to producer and co-host Alex Wong, Kat Jamie, Steve Francis, Stevie Franchise, um, our board producer Derek Brandale and Frank Baraska for helping to the YouTube stream. Talk to you next week.